0: The best thing we feel like we can do for our artists is to create a fertile creative environment around them so that when we get that track back from a, from a fantastic mix engineer who costs five times as much as maybe somebody else we could have gotten, the artist hears it and goes, wow, wow. I love this, and and they feel that energy again of inspiration, and they hear their song revisited in a new way that brings life back into it for them, and they are reminded again of the excitement of doing great work.
1: You're listening to recording artist, music producer, visual artist, entrepreneur, and many other things, Owen Thomas. Owen is my guest on this episode of Michael Loves Indie. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Michael Loves Indie. This week features a conversation with Owen Thomas, the songwriter/slash music producer/slash video director/slash a lot of things who lives here in Indianapolis, and he's had a fascinating career in music and art for over twenty years. And we get into that in this conversation. He's one of those people that when you talk to him, you just want to go out and do more and be more. A little bit about Owen Thomas. He grew up in Seymour, Indiana. He formed the band The Elms when he was a teenager. They soon gained a national following, got a major label record deal, had several hits Um, some of which you can still hear regularly at sporting events. Then at that point, Owen was spending a lot of time in Nashville, Tennessee, and decided he wanted to expand his horizons into photography and video direction and working in the trenches with artists because he discovered that he really enjoyed working with artists, helping them achieve their creative visions. He then established and co-founded the firm Absorb in Indianapolis, a full-service creative agency that specializes in film photography artist development they also have a record label associated with absorb and it's all here in indianapolis anyway he's he's lived a fascinating life i definitely admired his music from afar for many years before i really got to know him about five years ago but he's just an inspiring person to be around and it's great to have him in indianapolis so i hope you enjoy this conversation with owen thomas I appreciate you coming over and selfishly, um, talking with you is very well-timed for me because Mm -hmm. every time, every time I talk with you, it's like, you're always some super creative people Mm -hmm. are almost like they never give you a peek behind the curtain, you know? And, and then that might be, I don't, I'm not saying they do it in secret, you know, everybody's got different ways of communicating, you know, and some, with some, with some really creative people, it's, um, you don't really get any insight, and you're somebody that every time—I mean, the time I've known you—is is very um, generous and willing to kind of share. Thanks. You know what the, the what the process is like, yeah. and I definitely have a fascination with anybody who's been able to be successful and make a living in any creative field because it's just so hard. And Mm -hmm. you're someone who's now multiple chapters in multiple creative fields. Mm -hmm. But it, I don't know, I don't know if you feel this way, but from the perspective of people who get to, you know, work with you and talk with you, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's integrated. You know what I mean? The music and the visual and, and other things that you do are kind of integrated. And I'm just interested in kind of um, finding out more, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? About how that, how that evolved, you know?
0: That's the only way I know how to do it. You know what I'm saying? It's hard for me to, it's really hard for me to look at a song and not instantly start imagining how it looks or how it feels or how it translates from a stage yeah. or how it translates from a design perspective or how you're corralling people's um, perception or how you're corralling your, or how you're putting your identity into their, into their world. And it, it's hard for me to. So I feel like I tell people all the time, it's like, you know, they'll call up and say, can you make us a film or can you make us a design package or can you, you know, produce a record? It's like if the project seems like a good fit in that way, sure. But really where, where I feel like me personally and our little team is at its best is when we kind of really get our... Our hands dirty and kind of dive in from the inception of the, 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 the work, uh, the music and then kind of work our way through with. It. And, and then by the time it's all said and done, it's you know, what's so funny is like you do all this work to make the music and the visuals and, uh, you know, the web and all this stuff match. Yeah. You know, and it's really for this very simple, simple transaction of just either somebody who's a fan or somebody in the industry or somebody filming TV, just looking at it and going, cool. Yeah, and that's it. And like they just yeah. get it, you know. Although, so you'll you'll put six months into this thing yeah. just so they look at it and go, "Yeah, it makes sense."
1: Although, um, when it connects, it, it's like magic to me. You oh, hundred percent. Do, do, do you do you do you do you As you um, does it does it maintain that sense of wonder for you? Like when it when it really hits?
0: Oh yeah. Anytime I see, anytime I see somebody do it well. You know, I, I'm always like, I wonder who did that. And I hope that someb- someday I get a chance to meet them and go, I noticed. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Because a fan is just into it. Yeah. You know, I, I was talking to somebody else about this today about the, the chance that you sometimes get to say to people whose work you appreciate, not just that it was cool, but that you go, I noticed. I noticed all the care. Yeah. Like, I noticed all of it. And I saw how this component had a tertiary link to this piece. Yeah. And then over there, how you how you put this one mechanism on the stage that was also on page seven of the vinyl. You know, it's just, like, things like that. Absolutely. so I, I, I still geek out all that and, and really, really appreciate people like S. Devlin and people like Rob Sheridan and people like... Uh, you know, Virgil Abloh and people like that who have have always done this creative direction stuff really well. And I I think that that's a real passion of mine is the identity work, you know, making sure that people, the other side, on the artist side, it's just at the end of the day, they want to feel understood, right? Wow, And so that's the main thing is, and you find yourself in a real crisis situation if you're working, I've been here, right? Where you're working with an artist, and they get about four, five, six years into their career, and go, nobody Knows me, you know, and then you face an identity crisis and they're already successful. Yes. And it's like, oh, no. Because then, then they're just like, and you, and, and you could go, I could, we, could, we could talk about any number of famous artists yes. who we've seen that with, who, and, and then generally they act out in a way that's kind of, they want to take a wrecking ball to their whole lives. Mm-hmm. Miley was one of them, speaking of wrecking right. ball. <laughs> right. No, I love her. Right. But anyways, it's one of those things where it's like, True. so anyways, we're, tra- we're always trying to not just preserve the identity so that the fans, ha- and, and uh, whatever, have something really cool to experience, but you're trying to mitigate an identity crisis. Down the road, yeah, if that makes sense,
1: so I want to deconstruct this a little bit because when you say we mm-hmm. you have absorb mm-hmm. the agency, yes, absorb the record label, yes. and then the work that you do and your team does for these artists, which is kind of all all encompassing mm-hmm. and, and um I don't want to make this a um, a uh, uh, a rehashing of the elms, you know yeah, everything like that, sure. but i do I do think for people who don 't know you. The Elms to me is a fascinating story. I knew the Elms and I knew them pretty well. I don't Mm. know ten years before I even met you. Yeah, and that so there's a chapter of your life where the you 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 built a band, you built an audience, you had national hits, Mm -hmm. and then at the height of it, you decide the band decides to move on, and it's just a it's a fascinating you know kind of story. So Mm -hmm. it's so Seymour, Indiana. Yes, and you're. um, your parents also have an interesting backstory. Your dad's from Wales? He's from Wales, is that right? yeah. yeah.
0: And my mom is from Buffalo, New York. And my dad, one of the things about the Welsh is they're famous for these big men's choirs, 150 voice male choirs, and they'll come out these giant booming sound, you know, of 150 men singing together. And my dad actually has directed them, directed choirs like that. He, You know, his degree was uh, in music, and so he became a director and of the, of those types of things while he was living over there. And they did a tour of the U S of the Eastern coast and Buffalo was one of their stops. And he met my mom at that show and they got engaged three days later. So she's from, it was just, you know, so she's from Buffalo. He stops through on tour. They meet and that's it. Wow. You
1: know? And so what brought them to Seymour, Indiana?
0: Well, they both kept doing work, church work, municipal work, always in music. Yep. You know what I mean? And so we, popped around the country a little bit for their work and so it was always we always I lived in Texas and I lived in southwest Missouri and so it was always their work that took us from place to place and then we landed in Seymour mm-hmm. for their work. And uh and and that's where the uh, that was when I was um freshman in high school.
1: Okay. Did are there threads obviously the kind of music you do is different from the kind of music that your dad you know has mm-hmm. made a career in but are there were there links you know experiences of kind of you you seeing him you know make a life out of music that carried over or was it a total like totally different
0: i think there are links i think there there are the the links that i would say is that he had a a penchant he and my mom both for things that were highly emotional musically so i think i've maintained that like i think yeah. when i when I, when I hear somebody create a piece of music that somehow is melodic, uh, competitive, seems like it's culturally viable, but then also has an emotional strain to it that's when I go, like, that's cool to mm-hmm. me. So, for example, if I grew up and they were playing me the Beatles or my dad was sitting down playing the piano, he, he always seemed to maintain a certain type of, like, awe about that or if we would hear a queen song and he would be like wow can you believe this you know what i mean and it was just so exciting or whether it was that or it was a classical piece he was playing because they were classically trained so it was so funny though i would say the biggest difference is that my musical trajectory is much more rooted in, in, in soul and maybe
1: the blues scale yeah. <laughs> where theirs is um, comes across in, <coughs> the, in your records, you know?
0: Yeah. You know, and, and theirs is much more classically trained mm-hmm. and, and so they kind of came from a thing. My mom was a really gifted operatic singer and my dad, you know, just, I mean, my dad could sit down and orchestrate for, for, you know, um, you know, a 40 piece ensemble, like he could do all that stuff. And I just played bar chords, you know, that, that's yeah, my yeah. whole thing. So I, I, their training is a lot more significant.
1: Was there a, uh, because I know in some families where both parents are very musical, there's a you will take piano lessons at six years old or anything Mm -hmm. that was a, Was there any of that or were they?
0: There was that when I was maybe four or five, you know, and then I just, man, I never, I couldn't quite get into piano lessons. It was a drag. I just, I don't know why. And obviously, like you hear everybody, you know, probably say, I wish I would have stuck with that and I can play the piano, but I wish I could kill the piano. You know what I mean? That would be awesome. I don't have one instrument that I'm a virtuoso in like, that's not like, fortunately I was in a band with three guys who were like, yeah. they were really good at what they did. And I just, all I had to do was write decent songs. So, I mean, but yeah, I mean, they did that. And and then whenever I got to about six or seven years old and complained every time I had to go, it was like, all right, if you don't want to go, then why would we you know, yeah. make you go? <laughs> cause, we, cause you're going to come back and we're going to have to hear about
2: it. <laughs>
1: As you were, you know, you wrote songs when you were really young, obviously. Yeah. And, and but and this is another thing, as you know, that fascinates me because mm-hmm. I've been in a lot of bands and I feel like I've been a, um, like a, a, a song helper, you know, a song mm-hmm. enabler. I've never, and I hope to do this at some point in my life. I've never composed an entire song, you know, music and arrangement and lyrics start to finish on my own. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm always fascinated with people who, came to it, um, at an early age. And I'm also, I think part of it too, for the, you know, we're, we're interviewing you, but part of it for me is there's, when I was younger, I also kind of saw myself as a music critic, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And so that was, that was, I was, um, that kind of voice of, you know, this isn't good. So when people, I love that though. Yeah. Yeah. It's always the, (laughs) you suck, you know, kind of, kind of voice in your head. And it's almost like really any super creative person that I know it's almost like practiced, like pushing through the fear and practiced pushing through maybe not producing your best stuff, you know, so when, when did it click? Because I also think to be a songwriter, you have to be kind of crazy, because you're really just like put like literally putting it all out there. So when did it when did it click that it's like, no, this, this is something that I can do. And maybe there's a future here. When was that?
0: I would say I would say I got I got pretty industrious pretty fast. Like I knew I always loved music and I there were there were moments that I had in like high school and stuff where I had, you know, my um maybe my high school uh, iteration of, of a band that I was in and played. I remember playing like at a talent show and things like that and performing and just people losing their minds and us going like, well that felt awesome. But but I don't know that that would have been enough to to inspire me to continue down that path. Had I not had an innate love for just songs, you know, and just make being, having a chance to write my life into this stuff. And I think one thing that I was thinking about recently is it always felt like to me, I don't want to be weird or whatever, but it was almost like when I die, if I do this the right way, then at least anybody who is interested in knowing anything about me in the future will at least have this. (laughs) Isn't that weird? Oh, I love it. At a young age, I was yeah, always yeah. like yeah. I can leave this with people. Yeah. Maybe and so it's almost like maybe I can keep them company yeah. somehow.
1: Well, so I've never But I I'll, I'll just just to yeah, yeah, just yeah. wrap
0: that up, I'll say like I probably knew that when I was like I I think I knew when I started really devouring music Mm -hmm. that it was a magical thing to be able to write a song and I got really my personality is a little like this if I find a songwriter I love I really my brain dissects and dissects and absorbs and absorbs and takes it all in and um so I would say that I was probably maybe like 17 or 18 when I started going I want to be good at this like I would like to write a good song
1: do you remember the um the first song that you were really proud of or the type or the type of song that you were like yeah this is it. I can I can I can play this for my friends and I can play this for my family this is
0: i i will be honest with you i i always like I look back now and listen to our band's early albums and I go like, Oh God, you know, like I think everybody does that, of course. but you do that as an artist, you have to be willing, like you were just talking about where you have to be willing to put things into the world, knowing that it's someday it will be a version of you that was in a very developmental state. Yep. Right. Um. And you have to be unafraid of that. I will say that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. Like even to this day with even the early stuff going like, Oh yeah, you should hear this. You should hear this. Cause, cause I, cause I, it's almost like all against the backdrop of my, fa- or, or of, my of of my my favorite artists. Totally. And I look at the Beatles and I go, yeah, they did that. Yeah. So if, if the first few songs that we put out were a little more saccharine and weren't kind of like maybe like, oh, just all muscle-bound, like the best rock and roll band in the world, that's okay. Yeah. There was still yeah. a, a spark. There was yeah. a magic. So I remember we had the, the first single that we ever put out was called Hey Hey, and it was on our first album. And it was a very power-pop kind of, you know, almost like sweet. It was like
1: raspberries and yeah
0: yeah to the beatles yeah. what i want to hold your hand is yep, right, right yeah. and so when we put that out to, but i freaking love that little song and i and i listened to it yeah. and I, I i it almost didn't go on that album i remember i i had recorded we had recorded you know eight or ten songs for that label and at the very last like the last day we're getting ready putting things in, into the mode to go to mix and the producer brent said do you have anything else that you want to play for me just, just to see it. And I, and I played in the, that little song and he just goes, man, we got to cut that. Like we should, we should, we've, we've got today in the studio, so let's yep. go, let's do it. And so we did. And, I, and so I even look back at that one. Go, I go, I, I like that too.
1: Uh, There's when you talked about like thinking about your mortality, something occurred to me because you and I have talked about this before. One, one thing I think we had in common. I grew up in a small a town, smaller than Seymour in central Southern Illinois mm-hmm. Catholic, but in a also in an evangelical enclave. Yes. And having largely good memories of that and it like it breaks my heart the extent to which I think a lot of evangelical America has gotten very politicized now. It wasn't mm-hmm. so much that then. Yeah. I see of course as I get older I see things I have a pretty balanced view of it, but there's no like I can't separate me getting experience playing in church, playing at maybe youth retreats yes. and then playing some uh, secular, a lot of secular music, which I loved, but then also more, you know, sacred or Christian music, which I loved. And that's, I mean, that's a part of it, right? In terms of the elms. Cause, sure. Because you were writing secular songs and then sometimes <coughs> you're writing songs that were accepted by, uh, when you were younger, accepted yes. by the Christian contemporary audience. because Yes. That, um, and
0: at the time, when we put when we put those songs together, my, my whole thing, writing songs as a kid, if I was writing about anything that had to do with my faith or the girlfriend I had or whatever it was, it was just like it wasn't this kind of thing where I felt like I was was smart enough or cognizant enough to go like don't forget who the audience is it was like that wasn't a thing for to me it was just like you went and just played anywhere you could play and you know when I was 18 we were doing 150 shows a year just all original music and just grinding I was booking shows by day and playing them at night and just doing the whole thing and and then, you know, when we wanted to make a record, it was like, okay, we'd go out to somebody's farm and pick tomatoes for the weekend and save, and and, and we'd all throw our money in the pot and go record a song. You know, you see what I'm saying? So totally. it was like, it was never this thing where I was sitting there like thinking too much about who the audience is or how they're going to react or is this, does this have the uh, substance that's going to make a person of faith stay engaged or does this have enough... Realism that a person it, it yeah never I just wrote what I just wrote yeah wanted to write you know and 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 so fortunately at the time there was uh, at, at that time which would have been in the year uh, two thousand there was like there was a, a little bit of an effort you were talking about the church there was a little bit of an effort in in that uh, music industry to kind of go beyond the walls of yeah. that now I think it's become from what I can tell has become much more insular again where okay. it's almost like it's it's less about hey let's go share our perspective with the world and now it's become a little bit more and again I'm not very Maybe familiar re- with
1: retrenchment a little bit
0: yeah like it's almost like okay look let's we're going to focus on making this um, music that speaks to a very specific group of people and keeps them in the fold so i, I and again i could be totally wrong so yeah. i don't know
1: whatever <laughs> and then the band but the in the but the band i mean um, this is in I'm in, um, inferring, but it's kind of evolved beyond that market, right? Because then by the early 2000s, you're writing is very mainstream. I mean, I guess it's kind of it's it's kind of indie rock. It's kind of power pop, and it's yes. very mainstream. And you're really hitting. Well, here's um, I, I mean, yeah.
0: it's it's very look. It was to me, it was just very obvious. So so, and it was just the way that the doors were swinging because we would put out a record, and you'd get a call from like we'd be you know looking to try to get on a tour. And and it was almost like the artists who were more in the faith-based entertainment world didn't want to take our band out because they had heard that our show was a little more rock and roll and a little more pelvic or something. And so that was dangerous. Like, it was like,
1: right? Yeah, it's not gonna, yeah. Yeah, and and I can tell you of numbers of occasions
0: where I'm out there playing and it's some event that's sort of of a more religious persuasion. Yeah. And you'd have a gaggle of angry mothers come up to me afterwards going, why did you guys play a who song? And why did you have a guitar solo? Because it just makes our kids think of sex. And I'm going like, yeah, (laughs) well, (laughs) sorry. Sorry. You know, so, or, or or you're welcome, right? <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Whatever. So so, anyways, and so then you just get, you, you know, so a lot of those bands were just like well, I mean, we're just. And there was a band called Jars of Clay that took us out. They were they were really cool and liked our music. So, but then
1: there were other bands. So green. They originated at Greenville College. Yeah. Fifteen minutes from my town. Yeah. So we, Yeah. I had so. a,
0: I had a scholarship to go there.
1: Did you? And play
0: saxophone. Wow. Right. But then the ba- that was when I was 18 and the band th- started to materialize and I went, well, if I'm going to do this band thing, it's kind of, I'm, it's now or never kind of thing. Wow. Yeah. No idea. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, saxophone was like my main instrument all through high school and stuff. I was really good wow. at that. And now I haven't played, last time I tried to play when I gave myself a coronary, it was like, oh my God, this requires so much of me.
1: Just the um, embouchure. Like, oh, the really embouchure intense, and right? the lungs
0: and your, your freaking temples are blowing up. It's like yeah, the craziest yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so anyways, it was just opportunity. And so, you know, for example, you're sitting there on the biggest, basically gospel label in Nashville, and MTV two just played your video and they're yeah. going, we don't know how to pour gas on that fire. Yeah. Like we don't know how to capitalize. Those Sparrow on that. records, yeah, right? Sparrow records, which they, they, they let us make the records we wanted to make. They were really cool, you yeah. know? And then after our second record, again, you're sitting there getting everything from like guys who are like these storied, you know, like Frampton. And then at the time, it was like the Goo Goo Dolls and it was Band of Horses and it was like these types of bands. So there were the pop bands and then the kind of more alt bands and then the classic rockers and all these guys kind of were waking up to our sound and they were asking us to come out and tour with them and stuff. And every time that something like that would happen, you know, you got a label who's going like, we don't know how to capitalize on that. And they were very frank about that. Like we've never had a band with their music on MTV before. Like we don't know what to do with that. And I'm going like, yeah, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? And again, this is kind of pre the the real power of the internet to be able to That's somehow right. whatever. So you I still mean,
1: needed a label with their marketing resources and everything like that at that time.
0: Yeah. And so they're the ones who get to decide where to apportion those resources. And they're going like, we don't know how to throw $50,000 at capitalizing on that or, you know, so anyway, all that to say, it's just a con- I remember exactly where I was standing when you know, the president of the label called me and said, hey, I don't know that there's much that we can do for you as it pertains to the opportunities that are opening up for you. Yep, I went, okay. And so that was it. And um, and then, you know, so within, we, we spent a little time writing and spent a little time exploring other kind of labels and things like that. And then ultimately signed it with Universal's Nashville label called Universal South. Who had been fans specifically? This guy named Van Fletcher, who was one of the greatest, most wonderful record business guys I've ever met. Who's was just like, I like your songs. They get stuck in my head. I think you guys are a really good band. You come make the records you want want to make, and we'll do everything that we can to try right. to get them to
1: an audience. Who you know. Um, so, and these are guys that you grew up together, right, Tom. Yeah, my brother Nathan. was the drummer, Chris. Yeah, Chris, yeah.
0: Tom, I'd known since I lived in Missouri yep. uh, when I was in fourth grade. And then Nathan, I had known since I was about 18.
1: So you're like, I just think about, I think about how much I changed from, you know, 17 to 21, 21 to 25. And so you guys are going through that together, right? On oh,
0: this, yeah. 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 And so, you know, there's... Yeah, you're kind of growing up out there and doing the thing. And I remember shows that, like, there was one show. I remember we, my brother and I, got in some little scrap about merchandise, you know. And I, I wanted to, I didn't want to put some T-shirt. I punched me in the face, and you know, it was like, so you're like this crazy shit like that, right? You're just yeah. like going, oh no, my god, you know, like we're we're just trying to figure this out. And right. but when you're a young band, you realize that every every show, you just feel like you're fighting for your life, like you're going, come on. Yep. One more person, come with us. Come on, 10 yep. more people, come with us. And so yep. it, it tends to, and and again, my personality was always very ambitious, you know, so I was kind of... Which is interesting,
1: because it doesn't, that that, uh, that picture doesn't um connect with you now, which is, you know, you were, for years, you were the front man of an increasingly popular band, mm-hmm. and now it's like your role is helping the artist on multiple fronts getting out there. So, and mm-hmm. I, I don't want to, I don't want to jump too fast, but that's, that's okay. just an interesting, that's an interesting, like that picture of this, you know, ambitious kind of front man, that doesn't, that, that doesn't jibe with mm-hmm. what, what, you know, the, the Owen Thomas I know today. So that, what's mm-hmm. the, is it, how did, how did that, how, how that, how that evolve?
0: When one, one of the great virtues of having been in a band in addition to just making music with my, 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 brother and, and my friends and, and being able to see the world and, and get these songs out there and have these experience of people taking your songs into their hearts and going like god i can't believe this music could mean so much to people um was the fact that i had developed a love for aesthetic at that time right? right so when we signed our record deal it was the year 2000 and that was right at the apex of the of, of the physical product of the record business cds and all this stuff Right, selling you know you know Millions and millions and millions of copies of these album of these albums from I remember NSYNC and stuff would be coming out with records and selling two million copies a week you know you know just crazy stuff like that right and then within about three years the internet had completely come in and just destroyed the entire thing you so you're LimeWire and you're file sharing and you're doing all this stuff and people are just so. so so we literally signed a record deal. And within, you know, 24 months, they're firing everyone. <laughs> yeah. right. So you'd go in there and go like, hey, where's our homeboy in artist development? Yeah, our dude's, you know, our buddy who, you know, he's uh, he's gone. Like, man, the artist development team's gone. Like, we can't afford them anymore. Or the creative direction team or the art, you know, whatever. All the people who were involved in the identity yeah. work. So the people who got to keep their jobs, or some A&R people who got to keep their jobs. And I'm not saying that... It, it was almost like the operational people. So if you really wanted to... Develop your band's identity. It's um, kind of on you to to do that, as opposed to have the shepherding of a creative yep. direction team at the label. And I remember those people being there, and then I remember them being gone. You know, now fortunately, I was a huge fan of Trent Reznor, and I was a huge fan of Depeche Mode, and I was a huge fan of these, you know, the Cure, and I was a huge fan yep. of Kanye and, and stuff like this. So I I was observing all these bands and digesting all these bands and going like, okay, there seem to be certain things that they do consistently that feel like you're putting yourself in their heads, like in their universe, as opposed to just listening to their records. I want as much as I can contribute to that. I want people to feel that way about our band. I would like that. I don't have their resources, but I think that I can, I'm going to try to emulate their taste, (laughs) you know? So, so, I just started teaching myself to do all that stuff, to, to to work with photographers, to work with filmmakers and videographers, and to work with, you know, designers very intimately. And kind of, and, and, and I've, you know, what's crazy is I've gone back to a lot of those guys and gone, was I like such a handful to work with? You know, because I'm 25 years old yep. and I'm like so in everything, yep. you know? So I'd write a song and then I'd be like, and here's how it needs to look. And here's how here's how it needs to feel. And here's, you know, yeah. What do they say? They're like, no, man, you just knew what you wanted. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so I'm like, yeah, which, because what you were saying now, like about my life now, is it's highly collaborative. Mm-hmm. But I still find that in every great band, there's still a center to, to the way Jeff Tweedy would put it, there's a center to the circle. That's like right. the person who goes, yeah, you're the guitar player of the band and or whatever, and you have autonomy in a certain way there but I'm the guy who knows where this is really headed. And so at the end of the day, it's not completely democratic, you know, and I almost find where where there are bands that have whole democracy. It's, you know, it's kind of hard to hone, hone in for sure. So you got to have a a, a leader. Uh, and, And I felt that was my role. And so, you know, Anyways, all that to say, I taught myself all these different ways to to make things, to edit films, and to and to shoot photographs, and do all this stuff. And just my 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 training for that was just watching my favorite artists, yeah, and just voraciously just gobbling up everything that they did, and and just being obsessed with all that. And so then, when the band ended, it turns out that the the previous six years had been just basically a, a an education for me, and and. Identity work, yeah. And then as soon as the band ended, people started calling me up and going, "Hey, man. Well, hey, I guess if you're not doing the band thing, um, what are you doing? Yeah. You know?" And it and it was like, "Who did all that identity work for you guys? And who helped with all that?" I said, "Honestly, I just did a lot of it myself." And then it became, well, can you help us with that?" Yeah. And so that started with the band Perry. They they were the ones who. <clears throat> we just getting started at the time. Yep. And they said, will you come in and help us? And then after that... And you
1: that, met them through Nashville and touring and things like that?
0: Yeah, through uh, a, a buddy, uh, the guy uh, who produced my band's albums. Yeah. He, he, he knew them, yeah. and he said, hey, would you mind maybe talking to them a little bit about maybe helping with some songwriting or yeah. some, whatever? And they ultimately didn't need my help there. She, yeah. she did great songs.
1: I want to actually... I, I, I missed a step. Mm-hmm. I've never asked you this before. I may I may regret asking it, but in 2009 2010 that's great American mid-range <laughs> the Elms final album it gets a lot of airplay mm-hmm. do you still get royalties from back in Indiana yeah back to Indiana sure yeah yeah Because okay. I mean, you still hear you still hear it like sporting you know major sporting events it's great obviously a great song I'm just curious. there ain't no way to tell a man why a river flows or how a diving can be born.
3: Out of busted coal There ain't a word that I can find To describe her touch I can't deny that I would follow her Through flame and flood I got a ticket for a bus Leaving New Orleans I'll say a prayer that every single Light turns green I'll buy a cheap bouquet From the flower shop And hope she waits for me At the final stop Oh she waits
1: Not a lot of bands that at the height of their popularity that they decide to break up or move on. Was it, was that to the, was that, was that a matter of to the band members it felt like the right time and it was kind of expected or?
0: Yeah, it was, some of it was expected. Some of it was, um, some of it felt almost like the, the universe was saying it's, the, this is the time yep. to, to do something new. We had been through a couple of management relationships that were tough. And had gotten out of one, um, we had we had signed a distribution deal for that album, and the album came out and, and did great. But then that company folded, and so it's like we couldn't even we couldn't even get our own records to go tour with things like
2: that. And, like,
1: and you still, it seems like there's that's oh nine ten is still in this. Uh, the bottoms falling out of CD sales, yes. But, but, streaming and a lot of these new media haven't channels haven't really established themselves yet too. Is that right? That's right. That can make, that can, you know, that's right. Help the artists support themselves, right?
0: A hundred percent. Yeah. It was right in that kind of little fold, like that little crease in history where it was kind of like the, the advent of the internet was really ramping up. It wasn't fully powerful, fully matured yet. And then also the, the, the CD, the physical world had kind of died down. Yeah. Now, if you were touring, I mean, if, if you were touring, you still needed physical product, and we were a working band, so we would get out there and we would tour, and then we'd play a show, you know, where we would go out and support a band, and there'd be, you know, 5,000 rock fans, and then we were very, uh, after every show, we would go out and meet people. Like, yep. we'd go stand out there and sell the wares. You know what I'm saying? So we, it would not uncommon for us to sell two, three hundred CDs a night, and, and that was how we made, made a living. But, I mean, but, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember what
1: no, it was just like <laughs> if it felt like the right time. Oh well, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. So, yeah.
0: so, so, in addition to sort of a few like uh, circumstances that kind of were tough, it was almost like I felt like we had made a record I was really proud of, and and it and it felt like um, there was also this other part of me that was going, you know. If, if this can't ultimately, if there's going to be another reboot, like another business reboot, and there, I, I was like like listening for that, like, is the universe trying to tell me that there's a, a, an Owen version two outside the identity of simply just yep. being in a rock band, being a guy in a rock band, which I was very proud of. But also I realized, man, my life is intrinsically knit to this one thing. And I wonder if there's something else.
1: Were you guys all living in Nashville at the time? Or were you living? We never lived there. Okay. No, we, all Just our business was there. We made all our records okay. there
0: and stuff like that. But we but we, um, we all lived here. Okay. Yeah, we all lived in Seymour. Or Nathan lived in Newcastle.
1: Okay. And then the, the the sequence of this I'm interested in because, as I've told you before, my personal favorite thing you've ever done was Languages album yes. in uh, 12, 2012. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to get the the timing right. Were you already working with the band Perry and others at that time? Okay, so then was Language's album, and I'll play a clip. Them a kind of a I've got to get this song these songs out for me or were you thinking eh, I don't know There could be this may be a different a different kind of uh, direction for me
0: I had been doing it was some of all of that okay <clears throat> so I'd gone through a relationship that was tough and needed to purge that yep right needed to get that out and and so I'd written all these songs and I was like you know I like these songs and I think that they're they're specific they're for a spurt for a specific event in your life which is the end of something precious um, but i find, but i found myself going through that process of losing something i went wow i know myself so much better yeah. which is you know which is a pretty anecdotal thing to say but the tough things in your life that ultimately wow i got to know myself because of that yep and and i love that i, I feel because of the events of those t- of that season of my life i feel like i I have a much better understanding of who I am. That's... You know, but the... Oh, sorry. So go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say, like, because I can put that on the two, you know, I might be a ghost, Houdini, Mm -hmm. some of those other songs that like, even though I heard it, like I was already like married and in my thirties when I heard it, it takes me back to a time in my 20, like the time between when I met my now wife, who's wonderful, and they're like, just trying to, it's almost, I, I think Witt Stillman calls it waiting for the rest of your life to get started. Sure. And I'm like, those songs like take me take me back to a time, I don't know, like 25, 26, where you're just trying to figure that stuff out, you know, or at least oh, that's, yeah. that's what I experienced when I put it on. But
0: Well, yeah, and, and like I just mentioned about the band, like how my identity was intrinsically knit to that thing. I think that there's maybe a little bit of an effort in my life to kind of go don't give um, singular things or people 100% of you or something like that. As if to say, like, that's another part of my personality is, you know, to, to not just flow with life as opposed to just like, okay, so this is my cause, then I'm giving it all of me. Which in one way sounds really like, well, yeah, that's what ambition kind of is. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I do believe I have a have a sense of how to fully give myself to a project but I also mean don't um, isolate yourself in a way from the rest of the potential opportunities around you and have um, almost like blinders on to you know so so it was like uh, I don't know maybe that's confusing I guess oh. all, I guess all that I'm saying is like I, I felt like um, I needed to, to write that that album in, in, as a way of going like, there was a version of me that was highly interested in, in one cause or one person or, you know, one rock band or what, or, you know, yeah. whatever it is. And I, I like to kind of feel like there's a multidisciplinary concept going on here. And I'm yeah. figuring that
1: out. Cause, because, um, you played most of the instruments on languages and then there's some new textures, mm-hmm. you know, keyboards and synths and things like that, that weren't as part of the, uh, weren't as much a part of the Elms sound. with the band Perry and yes. other artists and then there's a part
3: well you know what's interesting
0: too is as I was working for them and then I was getting calls for other from other people to come in and help and I was taking on campaign work and it was kind of coming in you yeah. know it, it was it was you know it was kind of getting more brisk than I had expected and I was getting more work than I had expected I went okay I found myself getting frustrated at times because you know you'd, you'd be sitting like I told you earlier I was like it's hard for me to compartmentalize the film, the music, the tour, all this stuff, right? And so what you'd find is that you'd be working on something and this filmmaker's doing his thing and it's good. And then this photographer's doing their thing and it's good. And there's somebody making the records, producing the records, and it's good. But nobody's having a conversation with all these people, tying it all together, which is what a creative director does. He makes sure that, that whatever media product hits the world it fits inside the ethos of of this artist so you can make a beautiful sounding song for them but if it's not sonically knit to their to their attitude or if it's not sonically representing their songs in an emotional way that that works it's kind of a miss, right? And if then if over here, the the visual piece doesn't represent them in that same way, it's kind of a miss. Yep. So it's, because we're really, it's you're, you're in the feelings business and you're trying to just make us an easy, digestible feeling, which is easy to do when it's real to the artist, yeah. right? And so I, I kind of wanted to do this album. I wanted to make my own album to go, here's what I'm talking about. Here's a way that I can have one little piece where I can do everything stem to stern I'll write the songs I'll produce the record I'll make this little visual thing I'll do the whole thing and tie it all up in a thing so I can have my first little almost like full tilt showpiece of what I'm talking about when I say aesthetic consistency cool
1: so in, that the make back, sense? so in the back of your mind it was this is me and and I'm gonna make sure it's unified, but you were also thinking that to have this, to share with other artists as to this is what I do, that was in the back of your mind too.
0: Yeah, because I remember, you know, helping me get work. Yeah, right. Because I'd put that out online and people would go like, man, this solo record that you made, that looks really cool. Yeah. And I would go like, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it wasn't, it wasn't even necessarily a chance to be autonomous, totally autonomous. It was just a chance to go, I can ensure consistency yeah. on something that I'm doing myself (laughs) you know so it it just it was the kind of thing where and and so then what I find is to do that work for other artists you just have to get to know them you have to develop trust and you have to develop a shared taste and you have to develop you almost have to be so that way everything you develop on their behalf has their fingerprints all over your brain already
1: now you know there's a road that a lot of people go down a lot of people who had your experience go down that you chose to not go down. And we've talked about this before too, but I want to, and that is um, like, there are some of my favorite Elm songs and some of my favorite songs off languages. I can hear that being a hit for somebody else. A Mm -hmm. lot of those songs, you know, could be a a pop hit. Some of them could be even a country hit if done slightly differently and things like that. And so some, um, and you know, some of my favorite songwriters you know, who do top 40 in country had previous artists, you know, careers as artists. And you thought about it I and mean, you had a publishing deal, but you, you thought about that, but you chose not to go down the songwriter for hire path, which was yes. a possibility at one point.
0: <clears throat> yeah, it was a possibility and I had a publishing deal and stuff like that. And I think it could have been, but I honestly, man, when I got done with the band thing, even though I did make a solo record, I was kind of like, I want to like, I really wanted to get into visuals. Like that was the real thing to me. So the idea, and also I had had a publishing deal long enough to know what professional songwriting looked like. Right. And I don't know. I might contradict myself at some point here, but, but you know, when when you're working for a, um, when you're working for a publishing company as a songwriter, as a working songwriter, that that's a real, that's a honed skill. You know what I'm saying? It's not just like, oh, just write great songs. Yeah, they want that. But then there's also a tailoring at times too. So, you know, you would get a sheet every month. I think I might have mentioned this to you the other day. You get a sheet every month and it would say, here's who's looking for cuts. You know, here's who's, here's who's who wants to put out an album in six months. And, and so you'd be looking at this list and it'd be, since it was a Nashville-based company, it was primarily country artists. But it was like, you know, Alan Jackson and Tim McGraw, you know, all these people are looking for a song, you know, Hey, Faith Hill's looking for a record. You know, she's looking for songs. She wants a ballad. You know, they need up tempo. They need whatever. The theme needs to be this and this. And so it's almost like the job of a working songwriter to get in the room and think like what kind of song would Alan Jackson want to sing? And then write as such, like I said, it's a honed skill. I didn't feel like that was a skill. I, a, I wasn't familiar enough with country music to do that and B, It just wasn't a skill that I had honed. Um, I had tried something
1: you could get excited about.
0: I guess I just, I guess not. Yeah. I guess I just found myself sitting there going like, yeah, I feel like music, you know, music is what I've done for the last 15 years. And now I really want to, you know, I I just, I just remember thinking like, I bet lighting is cool to work with, or I bet that, you know, I bet that I could point a camera at something and I could make that work. Like, so that just got more fascinating to me. It's, it almost seemed like the visual side of it um was was more um just just more compelling to me and yeah. i was ready to to step away from music for a minute yeah. so then it was it was really interesting i remember then starting about maybe 3 or 4 years ago people kind of started asking me would you be interested in helping us with music hmm. and i remember walking into the studio for the first time and going Oh, yeah. Yeah. This place. Right. Yeah. But what, this place. You know, I, and then yeah. I, but I was like, oh, this is easy. Like, I've done this.
1: Like, I've done this hundreds of times. Although you know? the records that you make now yeah. and the co writes and the production you do is, I wouldn't even know it's the same artist. Right. I mean, that because, and, and I, I am, I one one question I have is too, not, I don't know a lot of people in your position who, like, in their 20s and 30s would, um, have the drive or the patience to get really into technical? Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, because you've absorbed, you've absorbed a lot of um, techniques about different media. Yeah, you know, like and like just music. I mean, <laughs> you know, you know a lot. In my opinion, you know a lot about synthesizers, which you didn't know it. when you were when you were twenty. You know, so no. where does that where like and I and I know too now there's no short, there are no shortcuts, literally no shortcuts in lighting and video direction and, you know, stuff, you know, synthesizers and things like mm-hmm. that. So where does that, like, do you have, do you have a, do you have a kind of an obsessive um, yes you know, side to you that?
0: Yeah. And I just knew that when, when, okay. So like when the band ended, it was almost like I wanted whatever toolkit I was creating. I don't, I don't know. Maybe somebody needs to help me process this. Maybe I need therapy. But it's like the kind the of elder. thing where, where, yeah, where I like, when I got done with making music in the context of a rock band and in the, in the housing of a rock band, which is, you know, drums and bass up the pipe and guitars left and right. You know, it was almost like I'm exhausted of that format. I want, I want, so I think that's maybe why film seemed like a different excursion entirely, right? So then when it came time to make some more music, it was like, I want that toolkit to be different. I want that to be something that is texturally completely different. I don't want it to feel as organic um, as, I don't mean like the 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 feeling and the breath of the music. I mean like... Um, wire and wood and piano strings and things like that which I love all those things and still use them but I really want the bedrock of what I do to have like the feeling of um s- some sort of digital twist so the great hy- hybrid to me was synthesizers you know so it's like these are very tactile instruments and I can still bang on a drum machine and use my hands and it's and it's you know I can still it's it's really fun tactile stuff but the, but the sounds and everything like that, I just love them. I just think they're really cool, yeah. and I think that they're so. I, I love oscillators, you know, and I love yes. I love I love I love you know. I just love when things growl like that. I think they sound awesome. So so yes, I got a little obsessed with it, and I and I and now that's kind of the primary toolkit. And if I ever need guitar, piano, whatever, I call one of my buddies who's really good at that stuff, and go like, Hey, yeah. I'm going to send you this track, and can you do your thing?
1: Yep. Now on the particularly on the um the recent. Uh, band Perry records and mm-hmm. on the Dream Chief records mm-hmm. you and I I hear I hear this stuff when I listen to it it's like they f- fills and maybe you know filters and oscillators and things yes. like that so it's almost like I'll, I'll hear it and I'll be like wow I probably would have left that alone but then he you know he keeps at I'm assuming that's a lot of you and then it's it, that that it's like these kind of there's, it seems like there's an obsessive amount of detail to the little transitions <laughs> and, the, so true. and the spaces in between. Yeah. You know I mean, where it's like, dude,
0: I love that you hear that. I love, that's one of those things that, the. yeah, for me, it's just like, you're sitting here and you're, and, and, and you've got a, a great machine, like a, like a Tempest drum machine, which maybe people probably have no idea. A lot of people that listen to this might not know what that is, but you know, just this really wonderful Dave Smith drum machine. And you just got this great freak, these these great frequency knobs, and you can sit there. So the you know you, the, I'm sitting there going, why would the snare drum over the course of eight measures or eight bars or whatever, it's like not just develop a little bit, yeah, just develop a little yeah. bit, you so, know. So it's just you're talking about these minuscule little changes, but but dynamically in the music, it's just a little more tension or it's just a little yeah. more
1: growth or a little more propulsion. So what is it? Because for me, if I was sitting down with a Tempest or a Lynn drum machine, yes. I would mess around with it for forty-five minutes and then I put it down. With you, it's oh, an entire day. day. Oh yeah. So On what a, is? Oh yeah. What is that? What What is it? Yeah. Like what? What's Let's the interest? It. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I just think you know, it's I. For me, it's always just like finding the sound that it, that that feels like it perfectly fits the emotion in a lyric or something. So right, you know. So I, unless, I'm all about feelings. I just I I think that that's a really like I listen to so many records these days. We've got a hip hop artist on our label and we've got, you know, an alt band and we've got a pop artist. So it's like, I'm listening to so much music. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm, I'm digesting so much music from the indie world and the hyper pop world and the, and the R&B world and the, and the hip hop world. And um, there are a lot of producers doing really, really great work. And it's, a but a lot of it is just about how hard can this drum beat be or how how hard can this bass hit? And it's like, I love all that stuff. But when I hear a track that has a certain amount of um, emotion in it, it feels very unique. Yeah, And there are certain producers who do it in the way that I really connect to, that I love. And when I hear it, I, I go like, oh, I love it whenever the guy is singing about a certain topic and the sonic matches it. Yeah. And it's just beautiful. And that's what great producers, you know, do. That's sure. That's what the, you know... I heard yeah. an interview
1: with Jimmy Jam, who I'm obsessed with. Jimmy he's Jam awesome. and Terry Lewis, and he oh, he's, yeah. they said it was Questlove said, "Do you find yourself analyzing? Can you can you really enjoy a song without analyzing it?" And Jimmy Jam's like, "Yeah, I I almost always analyze it, but he's like, I know it's a good song if I'm if I'm not." If I sure. didn't, if I'm not activating the analytical part of my brain and I'm thinking of the emotion, he's like, then I know it's a great song. He's like, yes. if I, if I, if I it's like, that. oh, I can see what you did there, then mm-hmm. I don't like it as much. It was something to that effect. And I was like, I yeah, love that. I think
0: yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's really true. If it's, it's, you know, so it's almost like watching a great movie, you know, and something like, cause, cause I have a tendency to do the same thing with movies now. You know, where you're watching and you're thinking about lens choices and you're thinking about, oh, this, you know, the way that the cinematography is or the color grading, or you're looking at all this stuff. But if I find myself watching a film and being sucked in and forgetting about the technicalities, I go, wow, that really, that was effective. You know, so yeah, I've heard somebody say once, if you really want to love music, don't make it. You know, and I'm like, well, I guess that's true to an extent. I will say this, though making music with these new artists and with this new tool tool toolkit. And and finding a handful of artists who are a very exploratory place in their lives where sonically they don't totally know what they're they are yet, but they're so open to what the and all they need to know, you know, to what the possibilities are is what they're open. Yeah. to. And then when they hear something and you just see them respond like, ooh. And then you go okay. That's the ch- that's all we're chasing right yep. now is is them being proud of what they put out, and this will become their identity as long as they stay true to what they're proud of.
1: Yeah, and see, yeah, and having having been the artist before, and being I'm sure being able to identify with them um, that puts you in a, in a kind of a unique position. I want I want to ask you again. Back I'm um, back to the chronology. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you're the the uh the elms have officially broken up Mm -hmm. and you put the languages album out 2012 Mm -hmm. you're working with other artists you know notably the band perry and Mm -hmm. others but you also start a do you call it a creative agency first absorb in in indianapolis Mm -hmm. so it's like you could have done it in nashville tennessee could have done you know austin texas Mm -hmm. you know why what why did it why did it come together in indy
0: Man, that's a, I don't, you know, it's, I don't really, I don't know. I think just, it was just because I lived, you know, I just lived here. And, yeah. it, and it almost seemed like I'd spent so much time, I think, um, here's what I think. I think that because I always believed that my best work was going to be done in um, in a way that I would make substantive relationships with people and then almost like be, um, their right hand, you know, that I felt like I don't know that I need to go to the coasts to do this. Like, I think if I, if I, cause I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy who on an annual basis, I'm not going like, I'm not looking to make 50 music videos. That's not my life. You know, and and now if I was, if that was, if I had gone, I'm going to, I'm going to be a music video director by trade. I'm a creative director by trade,
1: right? Right. I also now, don't. I also don't see you going to four events a, a week. You know what I mean? Even you know. Yeah, yeah,
0: hobnobbing and stuff. I, no. Yeah, there's there's I work see. to be done. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like I, I I'm sitting there going like. If I was looking to make fifty music videos a year, and I have friends who do that, and it makes a lot of sense for them to live in L.A. because when you're an entry level music video director, you just need to be available, and the work is coming. You know, because there are crises all the time where it's just like, you know, hey, we're making this music video next week. Music, The director just bowed out. Or he just, you know, he just decided to, he wants to go to Thailand. And so he's out. So we have a music video to shoot next Thursday. Can you do it? You got five days to prepare. Yes, I can do it. And and so it's that that kind of proximity on the entry level thing. And then... You know, if you're looking to make and crank out music videos, then you have to be there. But for me, I knew that that wasn't going to be like I that. I like making music videos, but it wasn't the kind of thing where I was like, I, I don't want to make a career out of this. I don't, I don't want to chop shop music videos all the time. So since I knew I was going to be a, a little bit of a bigger picture enterprise, I, I was like, I'm really only looking to work on four or five artists a year, but just really get in the dirt with them. So, to me, I was like, "I mean, I, I can do that here. you know what i mean and i and, and the band had allowed for a little bit of uh I guess what I would say like an infrastructure, so I kind of knew a lot of people around here who did the type of things, and there aren't a lot. obviously, you go to l a and you walk in any Starbucks, and there's like nine d p s in there right Nice, right. you know guys with cameras out here. there's not that many but but I know them all, and they're all great dudes and they're all looking they're all sort of spoiling to 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 do some cool stuff and so um and honestly, man, there's a lot of different things where I feel like out here, and I, I really believe this, um, and I maintain this even with our band, and it goes back to what you said about Nashville. You said, did you live in Nashville? And the answer was no. It's osmosis, and I really believe in this. So it's like, people would ask us, when are you moving to Nashville? And I was like, we're not moving to Nashville, because I want our band to have a sound. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like if we move to Nashville, then before you know it, I'll be hanging out with all these other people and they'll all be spoiling for a hit. And I'm going to start thinking like that too. Or our guitar player is going to start hanging out with all these other guitar players who all like have you know delay all over their guitar. And he won't just be a raw ass guitar player plugged into a martial amp anymore. He'll be like, well, maybe we should slicken it up a little bit. And then and then before I just I was always like, I don't want to put ourselves in a situation we are where we are surrounded by people whose taste we don't share, you know. And so even though in a, in a town like Indy or certainly in a town like Seymour, there's no. <laughs> there's no uh there's not the same type of uh music industry infrastructure but to me there was a little bit of a rogue energy about that like i was going like i'm going to be un uncorrupted yeah but so so i think with with um, i I, that may be really weird but i was always like if i go to la i'm going to be i'm going to start to dig i'm going to start to absorb all these like Philosophies of the of the way that they do things, and then before you know it, I'll just yeah. be another garden variety guy. And then, or if I'm in Nashville writing songs, and I start writing songs that you know by publisher, and I start to, dah, dah, dah. before you know it, I'll just be a garden variety writer. And so I was like, I'd rather just count on the work, try to keep a little bit of a rogue energy, the Orson Welles thing. It's like, well, why'd you shoot it like that? I didn't know any better, you know. And so it's like that was my whole. I think I was motivated by that a lot too, just to go like, I just don't want to become another I don't want you to look at something I did or that I leave the world with and just go yeah no he was a good garden variety anything yeah.
1: <laughs> you just triggered you triggered you triggered something oh no so I, I grew I grew up in Hillsborough Illinois population 5,000 so an hour an hour northeast of St. Louis Missouri hour south of Springfield Illinois it's actually if you look at where Seymour is positioned in Indiana my town if, is mm-hmm. almost positioning you know, on south central mm-hmm. Illinois so, my, these, so um like Three or four years ago, my mom's like, these young guys have started a record store. They're kind of, the the town is the, um, economically, it's not doing well at all, but there's been this main street renaissance. So my mom's like, these two cool. guys formed a record store. And I'm thinking, okay, right. And she's like, no, no, you should really check out the record store. I think one of the founders is like the free Methodist minister's son. So these guys are officially uh, almost 20 years younger than me, right? Yes. Finally, two years ago, I go, I go, and I'm like, well, okay, I'll check out the record store, you know the collection was like Insane. something you'd find insanely wow. great and something you'd see in a college town only in a college town record store and there's this 20 something guy playing a tom waits album it wasn't wow. frank's wild years but one of them from the 1970s and i was like oh man god bless you guys you know yeah. it's just fan cuz they're not they're not making money you know what i mean i'm just yeah. like i'm like I, I almost wanted to like hug him, you know what I mean? Because it's like there's a cause. Some, some yeah. kid, some kids growing up in Hillsboro are gonna be like, "Oh wow, there's a portal to a bigger thing out there," and yes. it's just so. I don't know that whole kind of. It's the it's like the DIY spirit combined with the you know what we're gonna invest here and make this place better, and I was yeah. like, God bless you guys. You know?
0: Yeah, and I don't. I don't think I ever grew up thinking. I, I probably. I, I never grew up thinking, or, or don't certainly don't sit here and work, get up and do work on a daily basis. Going, dang it, we will turn this town into an into a no. music, red entertainment business town. No. We're gonna do. You just get up and you just try to do good work and you just try to see the value in the differences and the things that aren't stock about this or the things that like. When I sit down there and I and I and I talk to an artist from here who doesn't have the benefit of comparison with the rest of the industry in Los Angeles, you'd be shocked at the, at, at at the um what success looks like to them, right? So they're sitting there and saying things to me like a legacy, I want to leave a legacy, or they go like I want to make this kind of sound and I want to make this kind of lyric and I want to do the and it's almost like. They they just haven't sort of been bombarded yet with the vanities of an industry town. All those things are cool. And no doubt there are people in all those towns doing some of my favorite work, right? Yeah. But all I'm saying is that by and large, I, I've just I've just always been a little bit like you're a product of your environment. And so I I'm gonna try and believe the best of that. I'm gonna try to believe that there is a there is a place here where there are um kids with a with a, with a world view with a perspective with thoughts that are not tempered by um media training yeah. <clears throat> or they're not tempered yeah. by things like how is this going to help me succeed in the entertainment but, business that's different than an artist
1: and so i'm I'm grateful because you at least this is what i observe mm-hmm. i think i feel like i feel like you and I have both tell me if this is right. Mm-hmm. it been able to kind of recreate elements of our small town experience here in Indianapolis in mm-hmm. a city of 2 million people, you know? yeah. And it's like the, the, and this is something I aspire to as I get older is having relationships and friendships that are not transactional. Yes. That's a know? great point. And then there are, the, there are all these people shout out to uh, Dwayne Arnold and Janet Arnold, you know, there are, mm-hmm. there there are people also, come here and if you take a little time to get to know them fascinating stories yes but but it's like you have to um be open and and not in a transactional mode you right. know what i mean i don't i, I know i i know i just kind of sense. vomited a few different ideas but it's like
0: well you know so 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 for the for the work that i've done i've spent a lot of time outside of indy right i've spent a lot of time in la i spent a lot of time in new york ton of time in nashville and all this stuff and they're awesome towns you know they're they're things about them that i love but but there is a but there always is a sense that you're you know and again that's just that's just what it is it's not right or wrong or anything like that but you interact with somebody you meet for the first time in 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 your industry and it's almost as if the first thing that people are thinking is you know what does knowing you do for me whereas you know I feel like, I, feel like, I, like I, I would like to believe that there's a way that people can come together and, and at the core of the relationship is just sort of like there's something about you that brings value in a, in, a more, um, in a more wholesome kind of personalized way. If we succeed in business together, that will be great. But if we don't, we're good. And we're still good. And there's there's yeah. there's something about that that I like a richness to yeah. that. And, yeah. I, and and so I, I
1: I'm gonna I, gain, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna gain something from this experience. You know, I mean, whoever we're talking, you know, whoever we're yeah. sending across from, value one way or another. Yeah, yeah, you know. like
0: knowing you is cool. Knowing you is cool. We talk about things, right? We talk about things that matter to us. And I think that whether or not we do things that help each other in our careers, we will have done each other done things for each other that help us in our hearts, which will buoy us on in other ways in yeah. our lives right and so i just like that i think i think and, that that's really cool and that and that's almost like what i would call like an untapped resource of towns like indy it is. is the ability to have, have uh, a rising tide where as
1: it were you know and you're you're very kind but i'll throw it back because you're an uber successful creative person who it who always takes the time for people, you know what I mean? And I, and, I, and, I, and it's Thank like, and, and there, and there are a number, you know, I mean, you you've got a very unique um, story, but there are a lot of people, you know, there are a lot of people like you here. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I wish I could bottle that up, you know, about this city. Mm-hmm. Do you still have a few minutes? Cause I want to yeah. get, I do want to get into a little more into this um, uh, absorb. So mm-hmm. located in, in fountain square mm-hmm. and you, you know, you expanded the creative agency and it is a label now. One thing that is unique about it, Mm -hmm. I'm imagining a conversation that may or may not exist that like when an artist is seeking you out saying, oh, I really like what you do. I'm interested in working with you. I'm imagining a conversation where maybe you're saying, well, we're not a typical label because we will we will work with you to across all different media Mm -hmm. to um help you achieve your vision but it's not this is not going to be a one off this is going to be because i'm imagining that when it goes well and when it works it's a pretty intense relationship of them working with you because you're you're you are um uh, you are helping them um bring their you know sonic and visual and all of it coming together and that is not a typical way that a that a label would work
0: right I think you're right. Okay. I think you're right, and I think that the thing that leads it all is um, a knowledge of who these people are, these artists are, because you'd be shocked. But there are even times in the life of an artist where the role, the job of a creative director, is simply to help them keep their vision on track. And they're say they're say they've been, we'll call it, distracted by uh, a cultural dalliance. And so, say they're a uh, an R and B singer, and they hear something happen in trap music, and they go like, "I want those hi hats." And you go, "Do you, or you just want them today? Because you just heard somebody today." Is it? Sh- can we go and dip into what you loved about that, but make sure it stays you? You see what I'm saying? It's almost like, yeah. and that's that's just kind of a like a like a metaphor for basically like reminding them not to stay or reminding them on a daily basis to stay their course. Yeah. And it's like that doesn't mean don't ever evolve. It doesn't mean don't ever change. It just simply means don't become uh distracted or corroded by some of the 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 fleeting um distractions of cultural development. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so um so anyways, and I feel
1: that, like, that is I mean, we're talking about Nashville songwriting. We're talking about pop song that is 180 degrees different from, like, there is a... And I I think when a, like, don't get me wrong, when a top 40 song works, it Mm -hmm. works. There's a reason when a country song works. And I want a hit, don't get get me wrong. Yeah, but I mean, mean, in that practice, which is very different from what you're doing for these artists, correct me if I'm wrong, you've got to be aware of the trends in, and the, even these little, yes. you know, sounds and features that become sort of, Oh, what's the sound of
0: 2021? and blah, yes. blah, blah Right. So the, well, so we're always focusing on how to do that, but make sure that it's not simply by making the artist sound like something current. Right. So you're going, how do we invent the sound of the future by making, but making sure it's in your vernacular, making yeah. sure it's in your wheelhouse of taste, making sure that you're not, again, if you do that, you run the risk of three, four, five years from now, that artist looking at you going, "Yeah, you made me sound. You made me sound fresh, but people don't know me. That's not how I ever wanted to sound. Wow. I wanted to sound a different way." So I think that the really kind of goes back to what I was saying <clears throat> earlier is the gestational process with the music creation, for example. You're just looking to do things, create environments, create sounds, create things, and waiting for the artist to perk up. And you see them, and if you can tell that they're inspired, that's the future. Wow. Does that make
1: sense? Because you, you loop it back. I mean, you've said a couple things today I'm going to be thinking about. You said the artist wants to be understood. Yes. So you're... And even if there's ambiguity in that,
0: for example, yeah, if they want to be enigmatic... I can understand that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because like, you can have an underground artist who's like, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be famous. I don't. People magazine is not the destination for me. I want to be, I want to be death grips. Yeah. I want to be, I want to be half shadow. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a fully realized pop star. Yep. Yeah. Then we need to make pe- sure people understand that. Yep. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that way. No opportunity that comes in, no request that comes in, no collaboration that comes in can ever violate that principle of who you want to be. And so it's almost like just making sure that we stay that course. And sometimes you have to say to your artist, that's the first time you've ever said to me that you wanted that. I don't think you do. I think you're just saying today you do because you're feeling a little insecure or because you're feeling like you or whatever whatever the feeling that's yep. motivating that is. But I don't think that that's you at your core. You know. So You've, anyways, you, the, the, yeah. you're right though. It's a, it's that's the only way I know how to think about these things is like all encompassing. And yeah. so it like
1: cuz you lived it. And yeah, you have it, lived it. Yeah. Yeah, and
0: I and I just feel like tr- truly though in addition to just going I want to help people live out their lives in the most authentic way possible the most excellent way possible i really believe that on a commercial viability album i'm looking at the long run yeah like i'm sitting here going like I don't want. I want a hit. Don't get me wrong. Like I love the idea of when we put out a song. Like you were talking about Dream Chief. When we put that song out, it just kind of blows yeah. up. Or we put out a song like with with, with this artist Biome that we're working with, yeah. and you know he gets his first film and TV placement. He gets his first you know you know million streams, or he gets his. We love that stuff, right? But I also love knowing he's freaking proud of this. Yeah. He loves this work. He is proud of this, and and I'm going like, I want this to be a horse that we're still betting on in ten years and we're all looking at each other going like we built a house. Yep. You
1: know? You've you've told me a couple stories of and I won't name names um mm-hmm. of an artist delivers you a song mm-hmm. and you're like this is not you. Yes. And you ha- where you have to deliver that feedback, right? right? And that's I mean I'm I'm imagining those aren't easy conversations.
0: No, they're not easy conversations, which is why it requires so much trust and knowledge. You know, but again, like one of the one of the things that was really interesting for me over the course of the last like three years is I got to meet Rick Rubin, which is he's a hero of mine. You know, he's a guy who I feel like is one of the one of the he's the gold standard of the record business, you know. But he's the type of guy who sends artists to the well all the time. And at this point, all he does is sit there and kind of curate things. And, and the great
1: reducer. The great, great reducer. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah,
0: you know. And, and so all the things that I read about him is him chat Like one of the things that we always laugh about is this method that he had where he would come in and people would play him a demo or a song. And he would say, this is really cool. So you know what you got your, your, as your chorus? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, that's your verse now go write a chorus that beats that verse. What you thought was your chorus is now your verse. And so they have to like 100% level up, you know? And so in a weird way, you're always looking to walk that line between asking for excellence, trying to discern whether they're really proud of what it is at the moment and whether that's the complete statement. But it's really about, yeah, you know, not being afraid to send them back to the well. Now, fortunately, I feel really, really lucky that the that the artists I've worked with and the artists that we work with now, we we have that.
1: Yeah, we have that, yeah. and you know, so so I want to I want to ask you a few quick hits, and I, yeah. you, you, can, you don't have to answer short. I'm just okay. so <laughs> okay. Um, in 2021, mm-hmm. let's say, on paper, it's an artist. who has got great songs pretty clear aesthetic about what he or she wants to accomplish mm-hmm. what's the most commonplace that they get it wrong is it the is it the album art is it the video is it the sequencing is it the and, and maybe all of it but is there one is there one that sticks out where they, you're just like yeah
0: well, you just said to me somebody who has great songs and a great aesthetic I'm sitting there going like that's not getting it wrong at all but but here's the, here's the one thing that I would say is the biggest mis- or the, or the biggest thing that I find really interesting and, and i can give you empirical evidence for this but it's like i'll be fast but so so it's like the the place that i feel like most artists are overly consumed is in the promotional aspect of it right i feel like with the advent of people like 50 cent and jay-z and stuff like that where there's like this Svengali kind of thing where it's yes. like oh he's the he's the musician he's the artist but then he's also keenly aware of all the business side of this whole thing right okay that's sounds great on paper, but the truth of the matter is, is that they worked themselves into that place and then ultimately attained that position, Jay-Z, by way of putting people around them all the time who could pick up the slack, pick up the slack creatively, pick up the slack in business, pick up the slack in promotions, whatever it is, there has to be a concerted time in your life where you focus on your art, where you focus on your work that's the place that I feel like most artists get it wrong is because they feel like the, the great differential between who makes it and who doesn't make it is who has the best marketing or who has the best promotion where I'm the guy going, I believe that it's who has the best work right now. Certainly, certainly you can go out and look at, look on Spotify today and go like, okay, how is this guy doing well? And this guy is not, okay. I get that. The only thing is I'm, I'm, dumb enough to believe that the guy who hasn't made it yet will if he just stays the course right and i'm not talking becoming like like the guy who you know you know was in a in a band when he was you know 1983 and is still playing hair metal in 2021 thinking oh my ship's coming i'm not talking about that kind of almost like dis that kind of dissonance where you're like living in a a reality that i'm talking about always evolving as an artist and always it's almost like I believe the world will find you if you stay the course. Um, But what I find is that most artists who don't make it, I would assert that it's because at some point they got too interested in things like, how is the world going to find my music as opposed to just making the best music possible. Go back and edit
1: again and edit again and rework it or... Or, or get people this. in the room with yeah, you yeah.
0: who have a taste for blood, Yeah, right. who, who are going like, I don't want to stop on this track until I know that if Kanye hears that he's going to go, oh my God god what yep. is this you know that kind of like yep. that's where if i'm so if i'm talking to a young artist and they're very almost like in a way they think that they're being very multifaceted and they're going like well i'm very interested in how this is marketed and i'm very interested in in the business side of it i'm going like oh no <laughs> i <laughs> <You> mean <know? laughs> so, so
1: sometimes you have to say look yeah i hear what you're saying but the song's not good enough
0: yeah and it's all moot right because i think yeah yeah right. it, it, and even if it does even if you are you know Whatever the the beneficiary of someone's good graces, and you, yep. your dad runs freaking Universal or whatever, and yep. you have a piece of crap song, and it goes out there, and they they ramrod it into the public consciousness somehow yep. with every film placement and every radio thing and everything. It's gonna die. Yep, it's gonna die. It's a house of cards. And so what I'm saying is like, I, I'm always I'm always the one, the first thing that I feel like I'm looking for when I meet an artist is the gift of like um presence are they here in the room right now are they having a real conversation with me and then second is like how focused do they seem to be on their work versus their career does that make sense?
1: Totally. The craft. To the craft. The process.
0: Yes, yep. and the ever the, the the tireless evolution of their of their craft yep. and going like yep. I'm always I've got the taste for blood and so what we always say to people the best thing we feel like we can do for our artists is to create a fertile creative environment around them where for example we spend we spend money on things like mix engineers that yep. maybe other guys and you know why so that when we get that track back from a from a fantastic mix engineer who costs five times as much as maybe somebody else we could have gotten the artist hears it and goes wow i love this and and they feel that energy again of inspiration and they hear their song revisited in a new way that brings oh. life back into to it for them and they are reminded again of the excitement of doing great work yeah yeah
1: question what is the most in air quotes uncool sound that you love whether synthesizer or drum or conventionally uncool and you just and you keep coming back to it
0: man the most I mean I got this other principle it's like if you like it it's not uncool okay you know what I mean but anyways I I would say like I would say the thing that maybe I would say maybe for me that's a, a big rich prophet or juno synthesizer pad like you would hear on 80s like 80s yeah. synth music yeah. like toto yeah. or something like that which john mayer just put in his new record you know and did all that stuff that that i love that was, those rich and i love inversions and chords and i love chords that have just a little like okay so there's there's the typical 135 but then just the little twist that gives it that little a piece of emotion but you know what's crazy dude is that those are things that I think some people think are kind of cheesy, but then if you go listen to The Weeknd or you go listen it's to a bunch there. of mechs, all there. All and there. that's because those guys know that we are looking, we're reaching into people's
1: yeah. hearts. When the DX7 started coming back, yeah. you know, with Boney Bear <laughs> and then yeah. obviously a lot more in R&B, I was like, this is weird. By the way, the, um, Helen and I are not necessarily John Mayer fans, but yeah. we spent I think an entire weekend going through that sob rock. Yeah, because he went all the way. <laughs> he sure did. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's man. like And he's not a very a serious. Um, yeah. Well, serious... one of
0: the one of the songs, for example, that I can give you an example of what I would call something that's like that type of sound. Yeah. Boys of Summer. Yeah. The Don Henley song totally. at the yeah. beginning, that synth at the beginning, yeah. that real simple arpeggio, like.
1: Yeah. And that's a prophet.
0: That's a profit. Yeah. And I'm, and then the lindrum kicks in. And I'm that's going right. like, technically, that's kind of a dated sound. But yep. I listen to that and go, I mean, I, it sounds like a sunset in Malibu to me, man. Yep. Like, it takes me right to the, to the emotions. Yep. You know? And so. I never
1: thought, and I'm a few years older than you, I mm-hmm. never thought that those, because, you know, with the young generation, I never thought that those sounds would be akin to, I don't know, like a Fender Stratocaster or something like that. You know what I mean? That yeah. now it's like, it's almost like a timeless Yeah, kind of a quality to
0: it yeah man and that stuff cyclical right and it's going to come back fortunately you know you listen to you listen to the number one record in the world right now which is stay by the kid laroi and justin bieber and it's just all Juno, man like it's all roland it's all that synth you know and that's what guys like charlie pooth and cashmere cat and all the greatest producers they're all that's their toolkit it's great and so i'm sitting there going like yeah so they're just figuring out ways to take because there is a an innate sound to those things you just got to kind of like how do we take this a step forward? Yep. How do we take this a step forward? How do we make a Roland or how do we make a Juno or a Prophet sound maybe like a drum? Or how do we, you know, just, you just think of it differently as opposed to just doing the, yep. but there are properties to those instruments that are, I just love them. Yep. I think they're
1: so cool. Did you think that, um, as you, you know, as we sit here, uh, I'm not going to say what decade you are, <laughs> yeah. that you'd be producing hip hop with kids in their twenties no. from other countries. No, <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about because the cross and and before we um, stop the recording, I'm going to ask you to provide some recommendations. You know, for people listening to this, some you know, an artist to look out for. But yeah, but did you ever think I gotta, I gotta um, a of those okay? Playlists. Did you ever uh, did you ever think that um, you'd be you know producing uh, hip hop and going across these different genres and
0: no. No, I didn't, and, and and I don't even pretend to be able to understand the like, uh, you know, the the internet money world and like the the guys like making those records with you know those those artists. I, I don't I don't sit there and go like these are my peers. I, like those kids are doing things that's just amazing, like really really cool stuff. And um, but I do think that there is value to the type of thing the producers like Louis Bell, Frank Dukes, and and, and you know you know it's like these guys are about my age and what's funny is as I listen to those records that they make I go like they sound like they were guys in bands they sound like they were guys who have the dynamic the dynamic sensibilities of guys who are in bands then I'll go look up look at yeah they were in a band or like you know whatever so I sort of feel like um I'm at this nexus point where it's kind of like and 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 we collaborate a lot like and I'll talk about this later we just we, we just one of the recommendations I would give you is a, a girl named Hannah from Toronto or from Ontario. She's, um, goes by fan club wallet. Yeah. And, uh, and, she's an absorb artist. No, she's not an absorb she's not, artist. Okay. She's just an artist that I found and I love nice. and then just started doing some stuff with her producer, you know? So, so, in, you know, he, he's 20, you know? And so we just, yeah. started, you know, just kind of started working together and stuff like that. So I'm always interested in collaborating with people like that. And, uh, and, and that's a very low fi collaboration for me, but anyways, I mean, yeah, it's weird, man. I, I I was talking to somebody about this the other day and it was like we have an artist called Joshua Plus Sign, just getting started. Just put out his first few tracks this year, but he's an incredible um rapper, lyricist. I love the way he sees the world and we also have a really, really deep connection on our taste. Like he loves aggressive sounds and he loves aggressive films and he loves, you know, all this kind of stuff and so we talk about that stuff, and he'll 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 say a uh, uh, Gaspar Noe, some little French movie, you know, that he found, like underground French movie. and I'm like, I know that movie, like I love that, you know. We'll t- we'll talk about these little things, like these little records, and and if like, you heard this, I'm like, yeah, but I'm like, you're like the only guy I know who knows about this crazy stuff, and it's but it's such a strong aesthetic tie between he and I. Anyways, he put out his first record earlier this year. It was a song called Pharaoh, and I just remember it, it when it came out, and it just the lyrical lemonade and dummy and these, these really really freaking cool blogs like picked up on it and were like, Oh, this production's crazy and stuff like that. And, and I just remember going, wow. Yeah, that's, that is wild. You know, I never thought it, you know, 42 I'd be going like this blog would, would, would like it or appreciate it. Um, so, so, you know, I, I I took a little, I I like that. I like feeling like that because it was, it was two things, almost like it felt that we were competing but then also that it kind of reiterated something for me is like age is not always a leper, right? You know, like there are times it's like if you maintain a certain taste for blood, you know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and, and, you're, t- and, and, and you're sort of always being inspired and you're always looking at the world around you and sort of digesting the things that are, that are current but also not settling for them, looking into the future. And it's almost like... um there certainly are examples like people like Rick who, are, who have been able to stay competitive for a long, long time and are really, really, really important parts because of their experience. You know, now the fact that I made those records in my little studio in our, um, in our office, that was just really cool for all of us to be able to look around. And I think, you know, it was funny for our, you know, our staff and for the artists to look at me and go like, hey, they, you got a shout out on the Lyrical Lemonade today. That's really sick. And I went like, it is. It's really cool. That's really oh, no. cool. So, so I, 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 that that was a re, that that stuff's really cool to feel like. Um, but you know what's even cooler, dude? What's even What's even cooler is when a guy like one of like Byam or, or Josh or one of our you know artists walk in and have told you kind of what they want, and maybe you know, in the case of an artist like Byam, he you know, we'll build a demo and then punt it over to me to add add stuff to. I like seeing when the artists walk in and like it. You know, so if Josh, who's, who's who I respect so much as a rapper and as a as a lyricist and as a writer, walks in and hears it, and he's just like, "Yes, I trust their taste too," right? You know, right. and so that's where I, that's where I trust they trust me for so much, yeah, and I well, trust them
1: to have vision because he'll he or she is going to have that for the rest of their lives.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: they'll always so, have. You've given them something they'll always have for decades. Yeah. yeah,
0: man. And, you know, and, and some part of it is just putting out something and, and, and their friends say, man, this is really legit. And yeah. then some parts of it is the adulation from the public. And, yep. and, the, so what, and then sometimes it's just their first paycheck. They can't believe they made a little money off this. Or anyways, yep. I, I, I really take, I, I love when the artist walks in. It's weird because we don't have any artists whose taste I don't trust. You know, their experience might not be, they're still developing, but I trust their taste. I yep. trust their instincts. And so when they like something that I've helped them make, I love that. Yep.
1: Yeah. Um, I have a couple questions left, but then Kay. I'm sensitive to your time and been, you've been more than generous. Um, what's the, what's the, um, a fact about the mute, what am I trying to say? You've you've made a successful business in music in 2021 in a music business that is so different, does, has little resemblance to what you came into 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. What's well, something that people, just the average music fan, wouldn't know about how you about the music business and how you make it? You know, I know, like for instance, I know that a lot more there's a lot more attention paid to film and TV licensing and things like that, but mm-hmm. I don't know a lot about new. Like, again, I see, a, I see a touring artist, and I'm like, I have no idea how she makes a living, you know? Yeah,
0: I think, the, I think a big difference is that everything is a destination now. So, like, for example, when I was coming up and I was in a rock band, um, pre-internet, right? You could go out, and if you could just get booked into the good clubs, you would find an audience. You would play for people, because on a weekend, if you went, say, um, in a, in a, uh, you know to the Troubadour, or if you went to a place like the Vogue here in town, for example, or Shubas Tavern in Chicago, or whatever. If you went on a weekend, it was like the the rooms were kind of full because you know people got out and they went and they the the discovery of music was live. The discovery of music was something that happened in real life. Like you went out and did that. Well, that experience is still happening. It's just all migrated to your phone, right? So it's like people still talk about bands they love. They still try to discover new stuff. It's just not happening in the rooms anymore. So the so one of the things that I always tell the artists is like you know. Touring could be a heartbreaking enterprise these days. Like, if you went out there and did it the old school way, and like, well, like we're going to just book 150 shows this year and just go play, 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 play. Because if, if you're not a destination commodity yet, people don't know your music or aren't familiar, you're probably going to play the largely empty rooms, right? which in itself is kind of a kiss of death where perception is kind of a lot because you know, if you do have a kid show up in Chicago who thinks he's coming to the rock show and he's the only one there, he's going like, oh, I guess liking this band isn't that cool <laughs> or something, right? So the thing that I would wow. say, one of the yeah. things that I, one of the things that I'm, I would rather put our artists, the label artists, the new artists that we work with in a situation where they play six shows a year, but they're good. Like I have this, uh, I'm being verbose. There there are three criteria that I have for shows. One is the money good. Two is the exposure good. Meaning is there going to be an audience? Or three is the connectivity good. Meaning will someone in the audience be important enough to help your career in some way? If you can get one of those things we probably will do the show. If you can get two of those things, you definitely do the show. Yeah. And if you get three of those things, you've made it in the record business or whatever. Right. Yeah, right. So I'm, I, I, that's the one thing that I would say that's different now is touring in my opinion. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people and this again, you know, if you're a band who's looking to cure, like we want our identity to be the live show, we'll then get out, I guess. And, but if you're simply looking to find an audience, the music is the conduit to that more than the performance because it used to be like you would play the show then people would find your music in that town now it's they got to find your music and then they come to the show it's a little backwards so now i feel like the 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 transaction is very similar as it's it's all discovery it's just happening in different ways so anytime somebody's like i if you if you feel like an artist is talking to you like what i really need to do is tour you're going like not really. <laughs> what you need to do is write songs. Okay. What you need to do is be prolific and and hit, hit and have a new track out every 6 weeks. Yeah. And then at some point the world will say, "We're ready for you to tour." Yeah.
1: Very different though. It's so yeah. than from like the late 90s, very different. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Before we wrap up. Yeah. Um, and they could be these could be absorb artists, so feel free, or or just other things that you, that you think people should hear. Give us some recommendations. The absorb
0: artists, there, there are three. Okay. One is Byem, Bayem, B A Y E M, incredible young uh, pop artist, neo soul influence. Um, just just really really cool songs. Great songwriter, okay. Joshua Plus Sign. Yep. Um, is one of our artists in the band four story all Kay. three of those i'm very 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 uh, proud of to work with who are all making really competitive stuff and cool. people should check out um one i mentioned earlier fan club wallet yeah uh from from ontario really really wonderful lo-fi songs but so rich uh and and blunt emotionally i just love the way that she writes um let me see who else did. I, find? I found this uh, artist, I think from Nashville, um, girl house. Who we just found, we, you know, what's crazy about this is we, we do a, our, our, our little label does a playlist every week. Um, the absorb this playlist on right? Twitter, find it on, on uh, social you can media, find it on Twitter, on social media. Yeah. All that stuff. Our yeah. website is absorb me.com. It's on there too, but it's like we do a playlist every week. So we force ourselves weekly to go find, you know, 20 artists that that people haven't heard or that that we haven't heard and, and, and so one of the ones that we found this week that we were just freaking out over it was this girl uh or w- was this girl house uh, okay. project which which was really really cool. Um I'm looking I mean there's
1: so many there's so man. there's much I know just so
0: many I, the one and and then I, I'll say this the one legacy kind of act the one big pop act that I love is Halsey. Okay, her new album. Now Halsey is a is a, somebody most of your listeners probably know. Yeah. Um But she just made an album with Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails, right? So they just made an album together. And I remember sitting, talking to artists in the last few years. Trent Reznor is a classic case example of a guy who's now 56 years old, who is so, so refined in his craft and making music for David Fincher films and winning Oscars and doing all this stuff. And then I told somebody, you know, a few years ago, as I was working with this new analog toolkit they were like, well, how do you want this to sound? And I was like, kind of like Trent Reznor. I mean, like you know, he's just the, you know, the Holy Grail to me. And they said, like, well, he wasn't he just in Nine Inch Nails, like a '90s band or whatever. And I was like, he was, but he's he, he's the gold standard of, of 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 this whole sound. Like he, the depth and the, and the understanding of this of this of this type of sonic toolkit. And I was like, you watch, in the next few years, some pop artist. Is going to bring him in. Yep. And they're going to make a really interesting pop record. Yeah. They're going to make a really dark, uh, uh, uncomfortable pop record.
1: And that's the new Halsey. And that's the new Halsey. Check it out.
0: Only a few artists I think Trent would co sign like that. Halsey's Mm -hmm. one. I would love to see what he would do with somebody like Billie Eilish or or like Post Malone. I would love to see that. But her new album is uh, very focused very narrative and sounds awesome. The songs are great. It will not be her most commercially viable record, but it's really,
1: really good. So I guess my
0: three recommendations today are fan club wallet cool. girl house and, and then the Halsey stuff.
1: Well, as always, it's just a great, I, I I, I've told you before, it's like, for some reason, it's like, when I talk to you, I just want to go out and do more, you know? Good man.
0: Same. Likewise. And it inspires me. It's like, yeah.
1: you know, it's just like, um, and, and, you know, I, I appreciate it. You, uh, um just getting a little peek behind the curtain you know i mean into into kind of your process and how you approach these things and i I, you know i tell you we're we're fortunate to have um you in indianapolis and your partners and jared and everybody and the things you're doing they're awesome it makes it makes a difference for the city but no it's just great to be with you and uh, hope to see you again soon
2: do it